Hi, friends, and welcome to The Afterword, a podcast where we meet up to have a deeper conversation about the truths we're studying in the Bellevue Women Bible Study each week. I'm your host, Donna Gaines, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jean Stockdale and Dana Street. Well, last week we launched the podcast and had a great discussion about spiritual disciplines and their importance in our lives. This week, we began our verse-by-verse study of Matthew 5 through 7 in This Present Kingdom, the disruptive message of the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at the first four Beatitudes. You're listening to The Afterword. Jean, what a tremendous job you did this morning. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. And you know, I think for so many women, when they begin to read the Beatitudes, Mm. they have no idea what it means to be poor in spirit or to mourn. But would you just kind of recap briefly what that means for us and how they're actually progressive? I Mm. love that. Mm. Well, Donna, it was so fun to get back, to have a chance to teach and speak. Oh my goodness. And to see our precious ladies gathering together. And then to know we had lots of folks online Mm. as well. What a great, great, rich blessing. Well, as I began in the study of the Beatitudes, I was reminded of a truth I had learned quite some time ago, that these are progressive, that they are very connected, because a casual reading makes them appear like they're rather random thoughts. But indeed, they are progressive. And he begins with poor in spirit, the recognizing that we're totally spiritually bankrupt. We're sinners in need of a Savior. There's not anything that we can do to possibly gain favor with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to, uh, so that that first one was redemption. So it goes on then to speak about repentance, mourning over our sin. I fear Mm -hmm. in our culture in our Christian community even, that we are rather glib at times about Absolutely. sin. Absolutely. We wink at it. Yes, or we think God does. Yes. Even, even <laughs> yes. worse, Donna. Yes. That's a, that is such a good insight because we think this does not matter. And yet it was sin that sent the Lord Jesus. Right. Mm. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he went to the cross. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, reminds us that we are to mourn, to grieve. We have grieved the heart of God. Our sin's an affront Mm. to a holy God. And so we have redemption and we have repentance. But then he goes on to say that we are to be meek, humble, gentle, the absolute opposite of what the world, the culture is telling us. And so I I called that restraint, Mm. restraint and strife, because they're is this sense that the world is setting itself so against the Christian community. And in many cases, the Christian community is fighting back. Right. If you read and understand (laughs) the words of our Lord, he is speaking of strength under control. That's the control of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being gentleness, meek, tender, kind in the words that we say and in the way we respond. So I call that restraint. And then the last one is perhaps my favorite out of this grouping, and that is the hunger and thirst after righteousness. Me too. (laughs) Oh, that we would come to that place where we so desired the word of God, that just as we hunger and thirst in our physical realm, that in our spirit realm, that we would begin to hunger and thirst. And I called that a renewing, I believe, a renewal. And Donna, you came up with an art I like even better. What was it? Ravenous. Ravenous. (laughs) An appetite for the things of God. And it makes me go back to Psalm 42.1. And when 
early childbearing years when I was praying, and I wanted to hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And I started praying Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. And I just began to beg God mm-hmm. to make that a reality in my life. And I can, I can remember vividly when it came to me that he had answered that prayer because I had given birth to our third child. Allie was an infant. I was nursing her, and I would lay my Bible down beside the place that I nursed her. And when every time I sat down to nurse, I was picking the Bible back up. And God's Word was coming mm. alive. It was mm. jumping off the page. And I just remember one morning realizing, you've done it. You mm. have answered my cry. Lord, you have created a hunger in my heart. But you're exactly right. It is progressive. Until we recognize our absolute bankruptcy mm. in the eyes of yes. God yes. and mourn over it. You know, that's yes. what happens when you see God as he is. We see ourselves like mm. Isaiah chapter mm. six, as we are. And we say, woe is me. I am yes. unclean. And you recognize that and mourn over it. And then God moves in and he grants you his strength mm. through meekness and gentleness, because that only comes when once we've mm. seen him, we are resting in his sovereignty. Yes. And Jean, I think that's exactly what you were talking about and what's going on swirling in our culture mm. right now. And what will keep us from being sucked into it is trusting in the sovereignty of our mm. God mm. and then hungering and thirsting mm. for him. Mm. Oh, just love every bit of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this week I used that progression actually just as in my time with the Lord, my own personal time with the Lord, and was just coming to him every day and saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I am poor in spirit. Oh, Father, I repent. Lord, I am. I mourn over my sin. I am absolutely nothing. Lord, I surrender to you. I'm meek. I'm gentle. Lord, I lay myself out before you. And then, Father, oh, there's just something that happens when we are that honest with the Lord and he sits down beside us. And his presence is so rich and full. And like you said, we become ravenous. It's like we cannot get enough of his presence in our lives. And, you know, that's what makes me so excited about the focus on spiritual disciplines Mm. in the study this semester. And I love that we started out with simplicity and worship. Mm. And, you know, Dana, I don't even remember when we were planning all this and praying through this, exactly how we decided what would come first as we progressed through these spiritual disciplines. This was perfect. It really was, you know, and I can't remember either. It was just one of those things when I was thinking about it this week, you just knew that the Holy Spirit was the one that actually put it all together. Yeah, and with simplicity, I think it is so important that we just camp out here for just a few moments because we have been given an opportunity through COVID and lockdowns and quarantines to do something that in my lifetime I've never had the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do, where literally the calendar has been cleared for you, Mm -hmm. and before we jump back into any sense of normalcy, we have an opportunity to evaluate everything we put back on our calendar and to make sure that we are only putting those things on that enhance our relationship with Christ and fulfill his purposes for us. And so when we look at simplicity, one of the quotes I had mentioned to you as we were before we even started recording this morning was what John Ortberg said about Dallas Willard, asking Dallas Willard, the great philosopher, okay, help me. What's the most important thing in the spiritual life? What will help me mature and grow in my relationship with Christ above all else? Give me that one answer. And he said, of course, Dallas got quiet. He said, which was often what what Dallas would do, I'm sure, seeking the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as he listened to the voice of the Lord. But he responded with, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. 
Hurry and spirituality mm. cannot they, coexist. They cannot. Absolutely. And we are so incredibly busy. busy. I've heard it said that if Satan cannot make you bad, he, he will makes make you, you- Busy. Yes. It makes you yes. busy. And we have fallen into that. And honestly, until the pandemic, I think most of us believed that there wasn't anything that could be eliminated. And lo and behold, there's much <laughs> yes. that was cleared from our lives that is pure clutter. And that clutter, whether it's physical clutter in our homes or mental clutter in our minds, our busy calendars and schedules, whatever it is, it is keeping us from the more important thing of seeking first the kingdom of God. That's right. Right. You know, in this week's study in the workbook, there was a quote in there that says, you cannot pursue him and find yourself empty. But there is also something about if we don't have space in our life, to pursue him, we don't leave him any room to come in. Right, exactly. It's very easy to crowd him out. And the world will do that for us. And there's so much noise in our world. You know, so I just, what does it look like for us? Let's just share, because all we can do is share is how this has worked for us. And I know raising children and the busy part of life when you've got everybody's calendars (laughs) to keep up with. You know, I had a kind of like a a grand central Mm. place in the kitchen where I had a file folder for each child with all their pertinent papers and things for school, those kind of things. And then a monthly family calendar that hung right inside the cabinet above those file folders that I kept everything a month at a glance. So we knew the, the things that we had to do. And Steve and I would literally calendar calendar family time in nights for dinners during the week so that if somebody contacted us we could say we already have a commitment but I also had to do that with my time with the Lord and that meant whatever time I needed to get my children up I needed to get up at least an hour to an hour and a half earlier so that I could spend time in the word of God sitting at his feet spending time in prayer but also just listening you know, as we have conversations, right. we talk back and forth. We do. And yet, yes. why do we approach prayer as though it's our laundry list mm-hmm. to God and we never give him an opportunity to respond or to address us and maybe issues in our life? Mm-hmm. So, Jean, how has this worked in your life? Just I mean, even through the years, how have you tried to work in some simplicity so you had time to hear from God? Well, when our children were very, very young, it's about the time that Craig and I came to faith. We came to faith in a few weeks, found out we were expecting our first one. And as you know my story, I come from an unchurched background. And so building this discipline, I started it from scratch. Mm -hmm. But like you, as I was tending children, I kept my Bible close at hand. Mm -hmm. And I did discover very quickly that the more I exposed myself to the Word of God, the more the Word stuck in me, so to speak, and the more that fed the hungering. And I wanted more of that. (laughs) And I began to see it was a very slow progression. I I believe sanctification is. It's slow and it's, I mean, honestly, sometimes it's terribly painful. But slow for everyone, it's progressive. But as I began to see what the Word was doing in my life, Mm. it was changing me from the inside out. I I could hardly believe it because, honestly, I wasn't sure it would happen for me because of my unchurched background. I felt like I was so far behind everyone. But as I just began reading and I began with a system, nowadays there's wonderful systems. They're available all over on Bible We have no excuses, do we? Oh, (laughs) goodness. And so I want to speak to the lady who finds herself like me and doesn't know where to start. I started very simply reading a Proverbs a day. That was a whole new concept to me. But on the 12th, I read Proverbs 12. And then I began to add some psalms along the way. And there are there are multiple ways of building all the way up to the chronological uh, reading through the Word of God. Right. 
If you're new at that, I don't want to overwhelm you, but I do want to encourage you, get into the Word. The Word begins to get in you, and That's it right. does these incredible things. It's life-giving, absolutely. It is, the, it is it, living it and is, breathing. It absolutely yeah. is. And Dana, it for is. many years, you have worked outside the home full-time. So uh, yes. women who work cannot give the excuse that they don't have time. How do you manage that? <laughs> well, fortunately for me, I like to get up early and I also like to stay up late. But I really prioritize, and the most important thing, the very most important thing in my life is that time with the Lord first thing every morning. I'm very blessed. Bill brings me coffee first thing every morning. He wakes God's me up, him. he breaks me, you know, and then I open up my Bible. And that's, it's been that way for years. Mm. I found that then ordering my life after that based on a list, making sure that those things that were important. And when I first, when I actually had children and was still working, the list really was almost life. But, but at the top of my list every day was time with the Lord. The bottom of my list every night was almost a Selah mm-hmm. moment yes. with the Lord. Lord, let me think about this day. You know, where did I please you? Where did I let you down? I love that. What I should that. I do? You know, what do you want me to do differently? Mm-hmm. How can I learn from you today? Lord, would you give me sweet sleep mm-hmm. as, as I laid my head can down? Can we pause so. on that one? Because I love the whole idea of rhythms of life. And I think that's kind of that's what kind you're of where talking, I was, I was talking about. about. Yeah. And I love that whole concept. And, of course, reading some of the authors today, because we have gotten so crazy busy across the board, many Christian authors now are going back to the Sabbath and to daily rhythms mm-hmm. and what some call the daily office Like the monks, where they would have several times during the day where they paused to pray and just reorient their thoughts toward the Lord. And that's a great practice. That's something I'm trying Mm -hmm. to incorporate, too, because I've always had my morning block Mm -hmm. of time. And I felt like I kind of converse with the Lord as I go through the day. But I've been purposely during the day stopping, pausing, spending some time in prayer. And then at night before I go to bed, I've chosen to do the Psalms, the five Psalms Mm. of the month, and just kind of just reading through. But if I stop on one that particularly speaks to me for that day, Mm. praying it back to the Lord. So closing my day, once again, focusing on the Lord and with a moment of gratitude Mm. and thanksgiving for his mm. faithfulness, Mm. because every day is a gift from the Lord. You know, it's totally perspective. (laughs) Right has so much to do with how we approach the Lord Mm. in gratitude. Mm -hmm. I just love that. I remember studying as a a young believer the story of Mary and Martha, and Mary chose to sit at the feet of the Lord. And I can remember asking the Lord, give me that heart. I want Mm. to be like... Mary, I I want to have such a heart's desire to be in your presence. I don't want to get caught up in all the to-do things that have to be done. And like you said, Dana, we all have responsibilities. What Jesus told uh, Martha was, Martha, you're just distracted. But Mary's chosen the good part. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't tell Mary, don't ever serve. He told Mary, or told Martha, excuse me, he didn't tell her stop serving. He told her, basically stop serving in the energy of the flesh. Mm. That's right. Well, and I think that's what it means to set our mind on things. I don't know at all, but I have to set my mind not just one time a day. I have to set my mind on Christ over and over and over. And that's what you were saying, Donna. It has to be that constant. And when you feel yourself distracted, when you feel yourself rushed. Or anxious. Anxious. Anxious thoughts start to bombard your mind. I think that there are triggers that the Holy Spirit will give us to where if we will just allow him. And what I'm learning to do, you saw me do it just a little while ago. I took a deep breath. 
And that was, that's just really kind of that little moment between the Lord and I where I'm just going, okay, I'm setting my mind on you. What's next? That's a tremendous practice. That's something Dr. Fish used to encourage people mm-hmm. to do when they were praying and asking the Lord to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Fish was the great evangelism mm-hmm. professor at Southwestern that Steve was mentored by and loved so much. But he said one of the things we can do physically is to exhale all mm-hmm. of our cares mm-hmm. and then inhale and just say, Lord, take mm-hmm. over. Yes. Fill me with your spirit. Release your spirit within me, and you flow forth. And it makes me think of Amy Carmichael, the great missionary to India, mm-hmm. who said, I can come to the end of my love. I can come to the end of my joy. I can come to the end of my patience, mm-hmm. but I can never come to the yes. end of his. Oh. So I can mm-hmm. turn inwardly to the spirit and mm-hmm. say, Spirit of the living God, take over. Mm-hmm. Father, your love. Mm-hmm. Father, your patience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that taking the deep breath is the signal that yeah. begins to put all that in, like you're talking about the rhythms of life, putting those things in that are triggers that set us up for that. I, I right. love that. That's I right. So that. how do you think simplifying and worship go together? Well, I'll go back to the story of Mary and Martha. Sure. Perfect. Um, because uh, I love the imagery that when they welcomed Jesus into their home, Martha allowed the busyness... And, and she she wanted to make a lovely meal for the Lord Jesus, her Which, motivation. I mean, can we pause right there just a moment? God has just come to her house yes. <laughs> for dinner. I think I would be pulling in all the stops, too. <laughs> you know, we're kind of hard on yes. her. And maybe I'm a little harder on her because I so relate to Martha because I'm very task-driven. Um, but, yes, sorry, I just had to pause on that no, one. That's, that's a good word because her motivation yes. was to honor this very, very special guest. But in a good thing. She allowed herself to get distracted, and mm. the good thing became a bad, bad thing, thing because right. it brought out bitterness exactly. and anger. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, she yeah. looks in there at her sister, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden she's mad at her, and pretty soon she's, she's mad, mad at, at the, the Lord. Lord and telling him what to do. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, none of that is good. None of that is good. And it <laughs> all right. it, it all goes back to that moment of distraction right. where the thing that started as a good thing right. became a very bad thing because it led her down a path of distraction and frustration, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. led to anger, which she was venting on her sister and ultimately on the Lord. That's and right. I began to get this phrase of simplify in order to glorify that began to Ooh, resonate like in that. me mm-hmm. as a very young like believer that. that I not allow, that I'm not task oriented. So <laughs> Perhaps this is easy for those of us that are not, and it's not not necessarily a good thing, I'm just saying, but that concept of simplifying whatever is my responsibility for the day, for my husband, my children, running my household, whatever, simplify those things in order that it frees me to live a life that glorifies him. Now, I'm not saying I do it well or right from time to time. They're just giant messes that uh, come along, but my intention, my heart is that I keep that attitude of worship. But in order to do that, I I know myself. We have to simplify to focus. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, I stopped during your prayer and wrote down what you said about Mary of Bethany, that what she lavished on him lingered on her. Mm -hmm. And that's where making room for him Mm -hmm. and simplifying things so that we can focus on him, it opens the door for worship. Would you agree? Definitely. And our definition for simplicity in the workbook was an inward reality that results Mm -hmm. in an outward lifestyle. And is that not what worship is? It's not about the outward things. It begins within us. And then it grows within us to the place that we cannot keep it within us. We have to express it. One of the books that just really 
impacted me probably three decades ago was Tozier's little pamphlet, um, Worship, the Missing Jewel yes. of the Evangelical mm-hmm. Church. And he has this great definition of worship, and it is to feel in the heart, in the inward, and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring and astonished wonder mm-hmm. in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what it means that. to worship. Yes, astonishing wonder. And I think sometimes we lose our wonder. We do. And simplifying and pausing to focus on the mm-hmm. Lord allows us to recapture that sense of wonder mm-hmm. and awe that the God of the universe, the one who spoke all that we know into creation, who in his great love sent his own son to mm-hmm. take our place yes. and pay our debt. This God has invited mm-hmm. us into a relationship mm-hmm. with him, an intimate, mm-hmm. personal relationship. Mm-hmm. How could I ever ever allow anything Mm. to crowd out my time Mm. with this Mm. great and gracious and loving and holy Mm. God. Wow, Mm. when we begin to look at it like that, Mm. we're going to start guarding that time, aren't we? And simplifying it any way we have to, to be able to make time for the most important relationship in our life. Mm. Wow, this has been great, ladies, and Rich, thank you. And may the Lord allow all of us to do whatever we need to this week to simplify and worship as we stand in awe of Him. Amen. 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 The Afterward Podcast is a production of Bellevue Women and Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. For more Bible studies and other resources, visit bellevue.org women.